I'm glad to have the opportunity to preach and kind of share a little bit about this verse. I've really been enjoying the study on Galatians that we've been doing. So if you want to take your Bibles, turn to Galatians 5. We're going to start down in verse 16. Uh, but when you get to Galatians 5, I want you to stop because we're going to look at the first verse again because I feel like it really sets the tone uh, partially for what we're going to talk about today, but also for the, for the whole book itself. Um, in this passage, or really in the book of Galatians, God, uh, Paul has been writing this letter with contrasting ideas. He's been taking these, these big ideas of faith and works and freedom and slavery. And today we're going to look at kind of the spirit versus the flesh. He's been con- comparing and contrasting these big theological concepts because they're important. They're important for us to understand because sometimes maybe they may not necessarily change what we do They go beyond that to change why we do what we do. And as a Christian, that's what it comes down to for us. And the implications of these great ideas, of how these great kind of theological concepts have serious uh, changed the way that we understand God's relationship with us. They affect the way that we understand what God desires for us. You know, when when the church kind of was founded... Paul lived in, in uh, he lived in this kind of time where it was a lot of things going on, a lot of struggles. It wasn't an easy thing to kind of get things going, to go around and start churches, especially in his day. You know, and nowadays we think, man, we, we, as, a, as I work for the Jackson Baptist Association, and uh, we, we strategize and we make these plans and we do all these things to kind of help church planners get, get started. We do all that. And I think to myself, you know, how did Paul do it? Well, he, he walked into a town <laughs> and started to preach the gospel. It all started with the gospel. And as much as we strategize, as much as we plan, as much as we have a team and we execute, and all those things are good and important and help greatly, it all comes down to the gospel and sharing the gospel. And so I'm reminded that when, when Paul did that, he, he came into this, to this place, the church of Galatia, and he started this church, and he loved them, and he cared for them, and he hears this these rumors and these things, and it wasn't like somebody called him on the cell phone. It took weeks or months for him to finally find out, like, hey, something's not right here. And then it took him a while to go and write this letter to them, and then he had to send that letter you know, by, from wherever he was by ship to, to them so that they could read this. So it wasn't something that happened. So when Paul writes this, he's very intentional about the things that he says and why he says them. So when we understand... That, that he's writing to these people who have come under the influence of these Judaizers and are somehow starting to fall away, not necessarily from the faith, but they're starting to fall away from this big idea of grace and then go to live under the law. And what I love about this kind of battle between Paul and these Judaizers is that Paul, and, and, and Pastor Jimbo said this, Paul is, is a Jew of Jews. I mean, he is not just a regular guy. He is a guy who, he, he, he was on the fast track to be really something great in the Jewish world. He would have gone on to be a great Jewish teacher. He probably would have gone on possibly to be on like the Sanhedrin or the religious you know, council. He, he was one of those guys who was on the fast track. He had the right knowledge. He had the right pedigree. He had the right teaching. He, had, he just had it all going on for him. And, and yet, you know, here he was, the Jew of all Jews, and he's telling these other guys who probably weren't nearly as Jewish as he was to knock it off. Now, that's not what God desires. That's not what God wants for us, is to live under the law. Christ has given us freedom from that. And Paul had a, a radical confrontation with Christ. 
And one of my favorite things, I'm real big in apologetics. I love apologetics and reading and listening to podcasts and studying that sort of thing. One of my favorite things to kind of, to, for, for skeptics or atheists to wrestle with is Paul. I love to see them just try to wrestle with that because they have, it's like they're trying to choke down a big pill because it, it's hard to understand what you should do with Paul. Because he was this man from all accounts that his life was going one way, then all of a sudden this thing happened, and they'll argue and debate about what, what happened there. But then somehow his life went completely the other direction. So there's no denying that this radical life change happened for Paul. And they had the hardest time trying to deal with that. So what I want us to do is kind of be thinking about those things. I want us to remind ourselves what Paul tells us at the beginning of this chapter. So in Galatians uh, 5 verse 1, and then we're going to read our, our passage in just a second. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. When I first read that as a teenager, that is one of those things that just somehow you know you need to underline that verse in your Bible. For freedom Christ has set us free. And that's one of my favorite things. One of my favorite other passages is John um, chapter 3 Verse not 16, but 17, that, that it says the Son of Man came to, in the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might have life through him. And, and I love that it tells us these things that the purpose of God and the purpose of Christ is not to condemn us, not to lead us into a, uh, down a life of, of uh, obedience or works-based salvation, but is to give us freedom and grace, to live from freedom and grace. So let's stand real quick, and we're going to read Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16 through verse 26. Paul begins, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. You may be seated. This passage, as we look through it, um, is one of those that we're often very familiar with part of it. We're often very familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, aren't we? It's one of those things we learn as children in Sunday school is the fruit of the Spirit. We probably could say that particular verse by heart. You know, and I, I'm thankful for that passage. But I'm also thankful for the, the context under which that, that, that passage is given because Paul tells us some very important things about how we should live our life. Tells us some very important things about how we should live our life. So let's look at verse 16. 
And he starts out and he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. One thing that I do um, that I'll recommend is every time I, I'm going to preach a message, I take the passage and I read over it over and over and over and over again. Over the week, over this last week, I've just kind of read over this passage and I've been thinking about it. I don't look at commentaries. I just kind of read over it and I look at it. And then when time comes time to study is I take it and I, I exegete it. Okay, I pull it apart. I look at the words. I want to understand the context or the, the implications or the nuances of some of the language uh, that is there. And what's interesting about this is when Paul gives him this command to walk by the Spirit, it kind of invokes this idea of following after someone, kind of like following the leader. As a kid, I loved to play that game. You kind of follow the leader and do all kinds of stuff. As a youth pastor, I played that game with my students. They still loved it, playing follow the leader of different sorts. But we do that. We say follow after the leader, but we're saying, who are we doing? We're following after the Spirit, following in the footsteps of behaving like keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. It's making decisions being led by the Holy Spirit who lives in us as believers. And he goes on to say, but you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And this word gratify is one of those really interesting words that I feel like has a lot of implications here. Now, the ESV uses the word gratify. If you have the NASB, it says carry out the desires of. The King James says fulfill. And it really is the same word that Jesus used on the cross when he said, it is finished. Same root word. And what, what, it, what, it, what it means is basically that there's a fulfillment to this. And so this word gratify means to bring into satisfaction, to bring into completion. So think of something extremely gratifying, just real quick, in a good way. Okay, Think of something extremely gratifying. For me... Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and let you all know one of my weaknesses is key lime pie. So when I think of something gratifying, I think about a big, like not just one slice, like two slices of key lime pie. And if I have a good meal and somehow I can end it with key lime pie, that, that, is, that makes the meal even more gratifying to me. It just makes it more satisfying. Do, do I need key lime pie after I eat dinner? No, okay, you can tell. I do not need key lime pie after I eat dinner. Is, is it what I want? Yes. Is it satisfying? Yeah, you bet it is, okay? But for me, do I, is it something I really need? But it brings me kind of pleasure and, and satisfaction when I have that. And so this idea is this idea of, of bringing the, the, the flesh into fulfillment. It's an idea of bringing the flesh into gratification. So like the flesh wants something. It wants something. It wants to be satisfied. And the thing that's going to satisfy the flesh is our sinfulness. You know, we're all tempted, and that's where, that's where we have this battle inside of us, is, is, is the temptation between what we know we should be doing and what our flesh is telling us to do. Well, that flesh wants to lead us away from the things of God. And so we have to choose to fight that fight. For us, though, when we think about these things that give us satisfaction... It really is one of these things where we talk about bringing things into completion. If we are focused on walking in the Spirit, we will not allow our flesh to bring its desires to fulfillment or completion. Because what does that do? It leads us into sin. Now, temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted, did not sin. So temptation is something we live in. We live with, we're always going to have it, no matter how old or young we are, we're going to live with that. But there's something about our flesh that desires to put that temptation into action. 
And in the same way, the Spirit is battling within us to do something else. It's trying to say, no, no, here's what the Lord wants from you. Good things he has for you. He's trying to bring those things into completion. So when Paul goes on in verse 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Every time I read this verse, all I can think of is magnets. As they exist in opposition of each other, they repel each other. They both want to go different ways. One of my favorite movies growing up was Back to the Future. And, and the one thing I always wished when I was a kid was I could invent the hoverboard. <clears throat> like, like I wanted to invent the hoverboard, and I had ideas as a kid, and I would draw things out, and I just needed, I just needed, the best, I just needed this perfect magnet, right? It was all about magnets. So somehow I could just get a magnet to float me off the ground, and I would be... I wouldn't have lasted very long because I don't skateboard, so I'm not sure what I was going to do after that fact. But we live in a world where these two forces are opposed to each other. But here's the thing. It's not just, not just that we live in that world, but that God gives us the power for the Spirit to overcome the flesh. For us, if, if, we don't have, if we're not saved, we don't know the Lord, or we don't have the Holy Spirit in us, we're, we're just subject to our flesh. We're just subject to those desires, and we're going to go and fulfill those things as much as we want, however we want. And that's going to result in a life that is broken. So my first point is recognize the war within you. Recognize the war within you. This is the battle that we are in every day. And I think it's important for us to feel and understand the tension that is there. The tension that is there. That, because what happens is sometimes we just get busy. We don't even really think about it anymore. We just kind of get oblivious to it. But there's a war and there's some, there's in, one of my favorite words is enmity. I just like that word, in, enmity. It basically says that there's two things that are directly opposed to each other. That these two forces are opposed to one another. But we need to understand that we are keenly aware of our own sin nature. Because the reality is the true battleground of the world is not, not in a field over in Europe. It's not someplace else. It's not a physical location. The true battle in this world is in the heart of man. The true battleground is in the heart of mankind. This is where it is. Why? Because it is those things that bring out the works in us, whether that's for good or for evil. Evil is born in the heart. Good is born in the heart. So the true battleground is the heart of man. Well, Jeremiah tells us, here's the problem. If we don't have the Lord or the Spirit working in us, it says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, above everything. There's deceitfulness in your heart. And desperately sick, who can understand it? We all know this. We don't have to teach our children how to hide or how to sneak or how to lie. They do that. Naturally, because we have this thing in us, this brokenness, this sin nature in us, that we are so sick, and without the Holy Spirit working in us, we can't make any progress. So we have to understand our own depravity. We need to understand our own depravity. I know we look in the mirror and we think, probably like I did this morning, I look get in the mirror, get dressed, and I'm like, okay, I'm looking, I'm looking good enough. <laughs> I'm looking good enough. But we've we, we got to look beyond that to understand that I am a creature who is bent away from God. And that every morning when I wake up, I need to make a decision that I'm going to honor him in everything that I say and do that day. So be, being keenly aware of your depravity. 
I found this quote by a man named Ron Bracken. He says, in his natural perversion, he's talking about the sin nature of man. In his natural perversion, a man wants to lie with a hooker and wed a virgin and keep both. That in in the natural state of our heart is to want to do those things and have it all. We want to have it all. We want to give into our guilty pleasures, into our, 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 our those things, and we want to have God too. But the problem is those two things don't work together. They can't exist in the same space because they're directly opposed to each other. You can't have a, light, a room that's full of light and a room that's full of darkness. And you can't have those things in your heart as a believer. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. They desire completely different things. There's a constant battle even for us as Christians, but we have the tools to overcome our flesh. So without Christ, we're at the mercy of our own desires. But in verse 18, he goes on to say, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And this is one of these big kind of concept statements that Paul gives here. He said, if we're living our life following after the Spirit, just like playing follow the leader, we're, 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 the, the Spirit is leading us, so we're, we're obeying. The Spirit of God is, is working on our hearts, and we're being diligent to do and to go where he is leading. If you do that, you're going to fulfill the law. And this is one of those things that, that in Jesus' day, in his ministry, that the Pharisees didn't understand about him. Because they were questioning him, oh, he wasn't doing this, he wasn't, he wasn't um, washing his hands, he was eating on the wrong day. And, and they, they were just so con- they were so consumed with obeying the law, they didn't really understand that if you follow the Spirit of God, He's going to lead you into that obedience. But it's not an obedience by compulsion, it's an obedience led by freedom. So this leading by the Spirit is, is implying that He's guiding you in every day of your life. It's freedom for us to choose a better way. And it goes back to this idea of slavery versus freedom. And one thing I think is interesting is that there's never any salvation found in the law. There was no salvation. There was no, no end to that road. There was no, no, no rainbow at the end of that road. Basically, that road led to death and destruction, the law. But why, why did God give us the law? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, it says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So Paul in chapter 3 tells us that the law was really sent to be a guardian. It was sent to show us our sinfulness and show us our brokenness and our depravity. And in Romans, he says this, What shall I say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. So the purpose of the law is for us to know and understand what sin is. Does it mean that we wouldn't have any sin if we didn't have the law? No, that's not the case. The sin would still exist, but God was kind enough, kind enough to tell us what was sin and what wasn't. So we have this. The purpose of the law was to reveal sin. And back in Galatians you know, 5.1, I like how it talks about the yoke. It uses this, this illustration of a, of a yoke. And if you know anything about kind of farming terms... This yoke that the law is, is a yoke is something that you put on top of an animal, over its shoulders, 
because you want to contain that animal. You want to control that animal. You want it to, to go a certain direction and do a certain thing. You don't want it to start wandering off and plowing your field over here by the house. You want it to stay over there in the field that you want it to plow. And this idea of, of a yoke, of, of it being the law being a yoke, is one of those things that it does. It weighs us down and it sits on top of us. And I love that Jesus came, that he said that his burden is light. He's not coming to, to burden us down with the yoke of slavery to the law, but rather he's setting us free. He's setting us free. One time when, um, back when I was a youth pastor, I had an opportunity to have a kind of a meeting with some of my um, teenagers and a well-known worship leader. And we had kind of like a little one-on-one, little quick session. And I remember some, one thing that he said that really stuck out to me. Um, and it was this. He said, you know, we... As worship leaders, um, especially, and I would apply this across anyone, we're supposed to lead from love and acceptance, not for love and acceptance. And that was one of those things that stuck with me um, for a long time, and I still remember it today, to think, you know, I'm leading worship or anything that we do as Christians. We're not trying to earn that love and acceptance of God. We have that. If we're believers, God loves us and he accepts us. But, but instead of, of, of trying to work our lives and do things to earn that, instead we should say, I'm loved and accepted by God, so I'm going to do this. It's like empowerment versus this constant yearning and striving to earn God's love and affection and compassion and mercy and grace. He's already given it to you. He's already given it to you. So when we are being led by the Spirit, we are leading leading in our lives, not for love and acceptance, but from, and we are not under the law. So for us, we have to choose to fight the fight, number two. We have to choose to fight the fight. When we look into wars, and I, I love watching the History Channel as much as every other guy probably in here. Okay, those kind of battle and war documentaries. I love that kind of stuff. One thing that's interesting is that you know we, we have soldiers and you have civilians, but yet you have this person in the middle. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Maybe you have. Someone who is known as a conscientious objector. That is somebody who basically recognizes that there's a war going on, but yet at the same time is choosing not to fight. And there's a lot of reasons people do that. But basically, it's a recognition of the war, but yet there's a choice not to fight in that battle. So what do they end up becoming? They, they become a casualty of war. So whatever happens in the battle is going to affect them, but they're not actually going to try to fight to, to push the battle one way or another. And I think for us, sometimes we, we, we choose that path as Christians in this, in this battle and in this fight. We choose to be a conscientious objector in that we say, I understand, yeah, there's this fight and there's this battle of my flesh and the spirit and all that stuff is going on in my life, but, you know, I'm just not sure exactly what to do with that, so I'm just going to kind of go on my day. I'm not actually going to do anything to engage with this battle. Well, the problem with that is you'll, just like those people who, who are conscientious objectors, you're going to become a casualty of the war. You're going to become a casualty of those things. And if you're not truly choosing to fight this battle, and whether there's lots of ways, and we'll get to some of those ways at the end, to choose to fight this battle, you're going to lose. You're going to lose the battle. So in verse 19, Paul goes on, he says this, he says, Now the works of the flesh 
are evident. And he gives us a list, a non-exhaustive list. He says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. As he lists these things, Paul lives in a world filled with these things. Even more so than we do today. He's surrounded by these things. He's surrounded by sexual immorality, by impurity, by sensuality, by idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. This was the world that Paul lived in. And that was part of the reasons the Jews just chose to kind of remove themselves from the Roman Empire was they wanted to live their way on their turf and do their thing because they didn't have anything to do with all that mess. And for us, we live in a world where we're surrounded by these things. And just as Paul warns us, we, we, we should understand that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All these sins that he lists are either sins against ourselves, sins against others, sins of pride. In 1 John, um, John puts it this way. He says, do not love the things of the world. Uh, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And I would say the world is really an extension of our flesh and and the active nature of of Satan in the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. When we boil these things down, and you could go through each one of these and talk about exactly what it is and exactly why... It's a, a, it's a work of the flesh. But for us, th- this battle that's going on, so, so what is it that the flesh wants to bring to fruition? It's those things. These are actions in our life. These are things that we do. These are sins that, bring, uh, that, that live out in our life. That's what, that's what the flesh wants to bring about in our life. So when, when John says this, I, and I love kind of boiling things down in, in those passages that do that, it says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We can look at all the sins that are evident in the world today. We can boil those things down to those three things. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And really, even all of those really ultimately boil down to pride in our own heart. Pride in our own heart. A pride in our own heart makes us say, I want to do things my way. So Paul gives a severe warning to those who let their flesh work out in their life to sin. Paul gives a severe warning to those people who are letting their flesh work itself out, getting its, letting, letting their flesh get its satisfaction into the world, which is leading into sin. So I asked this question there on your sheet. Who has their heart? If you're realizing people who are living this way and some who even proclaim to be Christians, the question I always ask, well, who has their heart? And I say that because it really determines, it is the rudder of your life, your heart is. 
If your heart belongs to God, it's going to steer you towards him. If it belongs to the world, it's going to steer you towards the world. It's about replacing the satisfaction that the world can give you and letting Jesus be that object of satisfaction. And like I said before, this kind of idea of leading from love and acceptance, not for love and acceptance. Understanding the way that God loves you and cares for you. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus tells us this is one of those passages too that even when I first read it, I knew this was important. Um, When I was a teenager, and it says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. So it isn't what actually brings out into action. It is the the, the intentions and the the nature of the heart itself what defiles a person. For out of of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now Jesus is talking to his uh, disciples there and helping them understand some of the criticisms that Um, the religious leaders of that day are kind of throwing at him, saying it's all a matter of the heart. So out of your heart is where you live. You have to get to the heart of the matter to understand how to defeat the issues in life. Now, just like everyone in here, everyone has had a struggle. Everyone's had something where maybe the flesh has gotten a hold of you in your life. And you have to go back and say, you know what, it's not just about stopping that action. That is part of the solution of whatever that is. It's not just about stopping it. The problem is sometimes we focus so much on stopping the action, the sin, that we don't stop to think about the heart of the matter that's leading it to that. And when we don't resolve that issue itself, it's going to continually lead us the same direction, the same way, back to sin. We have to realize and understand the heart of the issue as part of what we need to solve. And even as Christians, yes, we have issues. We have things that we deal with, and, we, and our hearts sometimes aren't where they should be. And God knows that, and he understands that, and he desires to help us with those things. And he can change our heart. And I'm thankful that there is power in the name of Jesus, and that we can break every chain, and that we can do good things, and God can help us overcome those problems. But the only way to win the battle that this is happening is to go where it is being fought, and that is the heart of man. So whether we want to get away from those things or not, we have to start with the heart of mankind. So Paul goes on to list this very famous passage. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When I read that, it's kind of like a nice warm blanket. I just feel like this, like, oh, thank goodness. You know, all these things that we just read, you're like, oh, that's terrible. And then, then Paul turns to this verse and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is all these good things. There's no law against any of these. And if our heart is focused on these and God is bringing those things out in our life, we're going to obey the law. We're going to fulfill the law, the heart of the law, just like Jesus did. So my third point is cultivate a life led by the Spirit. Cultivate a life led by the Spirit. I love that Paul uses the word fruit here. We live in a state that is known for its fruit, aren't we? 
we look at the license plate on every vehicle, there's oranges on there because we're known for this one particular fruit. And if you know anything about it, oranges are not easy to grow. You think that they're easy to grow, but there's lots of things that can happen to them. They're, they're, there's, uh, you, know, you have to grow the plant up to actually be big enough to grow fruit and, and grow oranges. And then you know, bugs and, and weather and all this stuff can happen that can somehow damage entire crops of oranges. And it's, fr- it's fairly temperamental. And so when Paul gives this illustration of fruit, I, I just can't think about, I, I think about this idea, it's the perfect illustration of something that takes cultivation. Producing fruit takes cultivation. I love that word cultivate because it's not just something easy. You don't just go out there like my kids do sometimes and they'll take seeds out of fruit and they'll just go and throw them in a hole and cover it up in the backyard hoping that we're going to grow an orange tree. I kind of hope that too. I kind of hope that maybe one day something will grow out there good. There's tons of seeds all over my yard, but I hope that something eventually good will come out of that. But if you don't cultivate that, if you don't tend to it, if you don't take care of it, uh, my mom is a green thumb. She loves to garden. She loves to do that sorts of things. She has this really humongous plant. And almost every time there, I have to help her do something with it. It's called a staghorn fern. Am I familiar with that? Okay, it's just a, it is massive. She's told me it is, is old, if not older than I am. And it is massive, and she has to tend after that. If it gets cold or below something, she's got to move it inside, or she's got to take it over here. She cares for that plant. And because she's cared for it, it's lived as long as I have, if not longer. I think they can live to be a long time. But I, it's one of these things that if we don't take the time to cultivate these good things in our life, they will never come to fruition. You have to plant these things and water it, and you've got to be patient and wait for it to grow. Now, why is that so hard? Because the whole time you've got the flesh over here saying, no, don't forget that stuff. We just need to get something now. We need some satisfaction now. See, God tells us we need to cultivate these things, these good and great things. They're going to lead to, to happiness and joy and, and, and eternal life. And the flesh is like, no, you just need, you just need satisfaction right now. You just need this thing right now. You just need to, 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 to meet those needs. Well, the problem is that, that that satisfaction lasts, what, five minutes? And then you need something else. And then you need something else. It's never satisfied. But if we take the time to cultivate a life led by the Spirit of God that leads us into these things, it brings out fruit of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, of self-control in our life. And that's what God desires for us. God's way leads to something more satisfying and eternally rewarding. I want to say this too because sometimes I think people get um, this, this thing mixed up a little bit. Sometimes people just say, you know, um, you know they say, hey, Pastor Wesley, um, that's just kind of not my gift. You know, this patience thing is just not really my gift. I, I always take issue with that because these are not spiritual gifts that are listed here. These are fruit that the Spirit is working in your life will bring out in you. You know, so when we say that these things are not, these are not optional things. These are not like, okay, I can kind of take it or leave it or take one or take the other and not do this one. They're not spiritual gifts. They are things that God will bring out in you if you're letting the Spirit work in you. So I say, if we say to ourselves, you know what, I have a hard time with this one or I'm having a hard time with that one, maybe... Maybe, you know, when you're in traffic, this, this being patient and kindness just somehow isn't your nature. Feel the tension. 
Understand the tension that is there in your heart. It is there. And for us, we should understand that that is there, but I'm going to choose the better way. I always, I, and this is something I, I did when I was a teenager, I get in traffic and you're just aggravated because you're like, what is going on here? And I grew up in Palaka and I thought I was aggravated in traffic down there, but I had no clue uh, what was what, like, ahead for me. I always like to think to myself, you know what, if something really bad has happened, there is probably someone who has something really important up there and they're driving really slow. For some reason, maybe they're just trying to get somewhere safe. And I hope that they get safe. So I have to mentally take my mind to think, no, they're not just a terrible driver and they're just going the speed limit because they're just oblivious to life, which is the case sometimes. But I'm going to choose to, to, to make my mind think that there's something good happening up there. So that, that way I don't get angry. I don't lead my life into or my heart into a place where I, I'm letting the flesh kind of bring things to fruition. Instead, I'm going to practice my patience. I'm going to practice my kindness and my goodness. I'm going to choose to be faithful in everything and true to my word. So producing fruit takes cultivation. The other point there, actually, if we read verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is another one of those verses that we have to understand the cost it is for us to become a follower of Jesus. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In order for us to live for Christ, something must die. If you haven't ever come, came to this realization that the something that, that has to die is really you, your desires, your passions, your plans, surrendering everything that you have to Christ. Part of my testimony when I was a teenager and I was wrestling with uh, whether God was calling me into the ministry or not is I have this picture um, just in a white, of a, and it was a mental picture, but a picture of a whiteboard in my life. And, and I had these things that I wanted to accomplish and these goals that I had for my life. And as much as a teenager can have goals and understand what life is like, you know, I had those things and, and I thought this is what I wanted. And mentally God was pressing on me like, like I have, I have other things for you. I have different things for you. I have, I have a calling on your life. And mentally it took for me to surrender in the ministry. It, it was a mental picture for me to just erase those plans. To just, just leave a whiteboard completely blank and let God fill that in. So I had to die to my passions and my desires that Christ's passions and Christ's desires for me would live through me yeah, it is, it is your life. All your, your, your life and your desires are crucified with him on the cross. Where do we get that picture? Baptism, okay? We, we're crucified, but we're, we're, we're dying to ourselves, and we're coming back as new. This washing away and this renewal of what God has for us. And Paul says in Galatians 2, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life... I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, we die to ourselves. We live for Christ. And I think what, what an interesting sacrifice to kind of bring it back around here as we close. What, what a sacrifice that was for Paul. As much as a teenager as I had my plans for what I wanted to live in my life, can you imagine what Paul's plans looked like? 
In my mind, they look like one of those humongous floor-to-ceiling chalkboards that's filled up with a math equation that goes across it. That was probably Paul's plans. That, that was probably Paul's, uh, all his political ideas and, and, and things he was going to do to get to where he wanted to go. And all that changed one day on a way to Damascus. And it's never been the same for him ever since. So for us, in the same way, you know, we can say as, as Paul sacrificed himself and all that his pursuits and desires, his, his spiritual heritage, he gave up his friends, his family, his, his pursuits, everything that he was going to do, he gave those things up to start completely over. And he wasn't a young man when this happened. So he had been working at these things for years and years and years and years. And then this thing happened that he couldn't ignore, that he couldn't change That changed everything in his life. He gave those things up. Isn't that what we should do? We die to ourselves, come alive in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, As therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, those old things, our old life has passed away. And behold, the new has come. And I, I would say that, you know, if that, that scares you a little bit, it should scare you. If that makes you be like, I have to give up everything, yeah, you should think that. You should question that. You should understand the cost that following Christ is, is for us. Because it's going to cost us something. Whether it's now or later, it will. We need to be ready for that. Down in verse 25. Paul ends this way, says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So kind of as we close this morning, I just want to say, how do we win this fight? How do we win? I'm going to give you some four things real quick that I've tried to put into practice in my life that I feel like have helped me. One of those is habitually choosing God's way over our own. Making it a habit of choosing God's way. And a habit is something you do without even thinking about it. And it's not something that happens at once. You've got to start developing a habit. Habitually choosing God's way over our own. Fall in love with Jesus daily. This is a heart check for us. Be in, and I, I could also say it this way, be in awe of God daily. Stand in awe for what he has done for you and who you are. Let that sink in deep into your heart every day. Learn to hear and obey the Holy Spirit. Um, of the, one of the executive pastors at Fruit Cove Baptist Church, I heard him say this one time, and man, it's like, like, that is like the best definition. It says, the definition of a mature disciple, he defined it this way, and he might have gotten it from someplace else. He says, someone who knows and acts upon God's leading. Someone who knows and acts upon God's leading. I love that definition of a mature disciple because what it does, it says, you know what, someone has to discern what God's leading is and then be bold enough to act upon that leading. And if you, are, if you are discerning enough to know what God's voice is saying to you and then bold enough to go and act upon it, yes, you are a mature believer. I love that. So learning to hear and obey the Holy Spirit. Knowing what he sounds like. 
And if we're just ignoring this battle that's going on in our heart and ignoring that tension, we're going to, not, we're going to lose the Holy Spirit in that. We're not going to listen to his direction in our life. And then the last thing is live from, not for, love and acceptance. Let the love and acceptance of God and the grace of God be the fuel that, that pushes you, not the goal of what you're trying to obtain. I think if we work on those things, and you could spend weeks going through um, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit and, and talking about each one of those, but as we're kind of running through this book in a hurry, gives us something to think about that God's desire for us is to live a victorious life in freedom from the law, but in a way that we, we, we conquer over our flesh, that we win the battle and the war of our flesh, and are victorious to do great things for him and his kingdom. Now, this war, this battle that's going on, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you nev- you've never placed your faith in him as your Lord and Savior, you can't win this war. You're not going to win. You, you, you're, you're, you're subject to those desires in that flesh. And if you're living your life and it's just full of sin, you're like, I can't figure out what, what the key is to overcoming those things. The first step is acknowledging and coming to Christ. that he can help you. He can help you break those chains. So this morning, I'm going to be down front. If you need to respond, God's leading to respond. The Holy Spirit's moving you to respond. Come and pray. Come talk to me if you need to. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that, God, you have given us all that we need to win the battles of life. Lord, you desire for us to lead a life that's victorious. Lord, one that's not motivated by trying to earn something from you that your gracious and and all-powerful love has given us all that we need. And God, for us, it is our desire, Lord, as we live our life in in a world that is, we're surrounded by people living however they want to live and and just surrounded by the works of the flesh, Lord, we want to be cultivating your spirit in our hearts. We want to be cultivating your will in our life. Lord, that takes work, it takes hard work and patience on our part. But God, it brings a greater reward. Lord, I pray that this morning, if someone's here, Lord, they've never, never come to the place where they've, they've chosen to place their faith in you and trust in you and, and get forgiveness for their sin. Lord, I pray that that would be the first step for them. Maybe they're struggling with a battle and, Lord, they're not sure where to begin. That, that Lord, you would push them that that is the beginning. That is the beginning of of becoming, getting victory over that thing. Lord, and I pray that this morning, Lord, as we respond, Lord, if you convict our hearts, Lord, that we would come. Lord, we would repent, we would renew, we would run back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.